You're listening to episode two of Tiger Roll, The People's Horse, from RTE's Documentary on One. Tiger Roll has won his second Grand National! Pure, pure magic! What an extraordinary result! Tiger Roll has won again! At the end of episode one, Tiger Roll, or lot 975, had just been sold in December 2010 as an eight-and-a-half-month-old foal. My name is John Ferguson, bloodstock advisor to Sheikh Mohammed for many years. Purchased Tiger Roll as a foal for 70,000 guineas. John Ferguson, 70,000, thank you, sir. And when Tiger Roll came out of his box as a foal at the sales, he was a little bit on the small side, as he still is, but he was very athletic, very athletic. When Jerry O'Brien did a half-share deal in his foal, Tiger Roll, it was Sheikh Mohammed who owned the other half, as he owned Tiger's father, the stallion authorised. So when the Sheikh purchased Tiger Roll at the foal sale, he now owned all of Tiger Roll. There were many different reasons why uh, we bought Tiger Roll as a foal. Number one, it was authorised, who was a stallion that Sheikh Mohammed owned, and it was his second crop of foals that year. So nobody knew at the time whether Authorised was going to be a great stallion or not and therefore it was important to support the market to show confidence to breeders that we felt that Authorised was a stallion that was going to go places. So we were looking for good-looking sons of Authorised. The other uh, factor was that Tiger Roll's pedigree was one that appealed to us. So it was a pedigree we knew well and it was a pedigree that had class. When the hammer came down on the sale of Tiger Roll, his breeder Jerry O'Brien said his goodbyes. Tiger was now going to a new home, a Godolphin yard, in of all places, County Tipperary. My name is Joe Osborne. I'm managing director of Godolphin Ireland. The irony of it in some ways that he was born in Tipperary, brought over to the UK to be sold and then put on a transporter come to come back to Tipperary again to be reared. But yeah, came back to, to Ballysheen Studs and joined the team here. Tiger was now part of a global family. And his new home for the next 12 months was Godolphin's Ballysheehan Stud, just outside Cashel in County Tipperary, where he joined dozens of other young foals. We're part of the Godolphin Group, the largest thoroughbred operation the world has ever seen. From an Irish point of view, we've got eight stud farms, over 700 horses in Ireland, 250 employees, and that's just the Irish operation. We're in the UK, we're in France... We're in Japan, we're in Australia, we're in America and Dubai. So it's, it's massive in scale. Tiger Roll was, was part of that, part of a, a very big, big team. It can be hard to get your head around all of this. Godolphin is a billion euro global horse racing operation. Thousands of horses, hundreds of foals, dozens of training yards and all spread across the world. And in 2011, Tiger Roll was a young foal in the midst of all of this. Tiger's new owner, Sheikh Mohammed, is amongst the super-rich. The ruler of Dubai and Prime Minister of the United Arab Emirates, the Sheikh has an estimated fortune in excess of 18 billion euros. And as Greg Wood, racing correspondent for the Guardian newspaper, explains, he's transformed Dubai. He's the, uh, the ruler of Dubai and has been for, for many, many years. He was actually the third son of the previous ruler of Dubai, but he was made the crown prince, who was like the, the anointed heir, and he's been hugely influential in, in transforming Dubai over the last 30 or 40 years from what uh, quite a small economy, but the one that's based on oil, to a, a huge tourist destination and a financial hub 
for, for the Middle East. Dubai Airport is now, I think, the, the biggest interchange, the biggest hub on the planet. He transformed the, the famous skyline with the skyscrapers. It's all been done basically in the, about the last 30 years. The Sheikh has six wives and at least 25 children. And he's previously been in the news for the alleged abduction and imprisonment of two of his daughters, Princesses Shamsa and Latifa, and for a campaign of intimidation and harassment against his youngest wife, Princess Haya. The Sheikh denies all these allegations, and Godolphin continues to compete in horse racing around the world. Godolphin is the main racing operation of Sheikh Mohammed of Dubai. He set it up uh, about 25 years ago now as a way to promote Dubai as a destination for tourists and a way of bringing a lot of his bloodstock operations under sort of one banner and branding it all in the same way Godolphin. They are sort of sponsored by Emirates Airline. They have blue colours, royal blue colours, and it's been hugely successful over the last 25 years. Back in 2010, the Godolphin dream for Tiger Roll when they bought him would have been similar to Tiger's father, authorised to win the richest, fastest flat race in Britain, the Epsom Derby, and then retire to stud, earning millions of euros in the process. But right now, in December 2010, Tiger was only starting out in the Godolphin operation, with Joe Osborne in County Tipperary. Tiger Roll would have been here from December of his full year until the following autumn. Sheehan stud is some playground for any young horse to grow up in. Over 500 acres of beautifully manicured paddocks and stables with rich grazing in golden vale soils. And this is where Tiger came once Godolphin had bought him. We bought a handful of foals there that would have come back here with him. So what we would tend to do is he'd come back here, be transported, get off the box and just he'd stay with his group of companions for those that first couple of weeks just to get settled in here. He'd come in at night time, just get back out for exercise and grass during the day and then by middle of January then he'd be on the same routine as rest of him that he's out 20 hours a day just comes in in the morning time gets fed and groomed checked over and turned back out again and he stays in that routine right the way through to the, the end of the summer This period in Tiger's life was all about growing up These were his days of running free in open paddocks with foals and young horses of his own age The Ballysheehan stud staff including Joe Osborne all noticed one thing about Tiger. We would keep notes on him right the way through and consistently from that day he was inspected at the sales and right the way through there was the one phrase that kept being used was good mover. Throughout the spring, summer and early autumn of 2011 the good moving Tiger began to really fill out. Around 12 to 18 months of age horses are like teenagers sprouting up fast and beginning to fill out. Tiger was now about 1,100 pounds in weight and almost 16 hands tall, which is about five and a half foot to his back. By the time he, he, he was the finished article, he was just under 16 hands. That isn't actually a small horse by any standards. The other thing is that sometimes horses that are well conformed tend to look a bit smaller, that their older proportions are right. He was a good size and good weight when he was with us. Now, about 18 months old, in the autumn of 2011, the as-of-yet unnamed Tiger Roll departed Ballysheehan Stud, bound for Newmarket towards the east coast of England, where Sheikh Mohammed's UK training stables are based. Tiger would now be under the care of the Sheikh's leading trainer, Mahmoud al-Zaruni. Tiger's first step in his new yard was to enter a pre-training phase 
in the Hamilton Hill Yard, where he'd be broken. That's when a saddle is first placed on his back and a rider gets to sit on top of him. So I'm Tim Deniff and I used to work at the pre-training at uh, Hamilton Hill. I do remember him as a yearling. Um, he was quite a neat, compact little horse. <laughs> to be honest, from the word go, he was an absolute pro. Everything we did with him, he took to very well. Basically, when they come in, they, they come in from the studs, they're handled, but they haven't had a saddle and they haven't had a rider on. Were you the first man up in his back? No, I wasn't. I was sort of in charge of the breaking in there, but I wasn't the first to ride him away. It was a chap called Peter Gunn who rode him away. Right, well, my name's uh, Peter Gunn. I, for, for want of a better thing, is uh, I was the guy that uh, broke in Tiger Roll. You know, I'm proud of it. Peter Gunn has been breaking horses for years for Godolphin. As Peter drives us to where Tiger was stabled, you get a sense of this place. It's pristine, behind locked gates. White picket fences, long avenues, fenced-off paddocks which are as well-maintained as any golf course. A place where no expense is spared in the search for the next champion racehorse. Um, in actual fact, this bit that sticks out, that was his stable there. <laughs> so this was the pre-training Hamilton Hill Gainsborough Stables. That's where he was trained. So that's what we're driving by now. It looks almost like a hotel, doesn't it? So this is where uh, Tiger Roll would have spent, I would say, 90% of his time with us being exercised on account of that I'm just about to show you now. Once Tiger had arrived over to Newmarket, he was given a few days to settle in. Thoroughbred racehorses, by their nature, are highly strung. The DNA in a horse is fight or flight. In the wild, they were a hunted species, so they had to learn to fight or run away. The, the first time I saw him, you know, my first impressions were he, he was just a typical yearling of Sheikh Mohammed, compact. It was a nice horse. Tiger was now a big boy, at least physically. But like all horses his age, he was mentally immature. And all these new surroundings, new people, new voices, it took him a bit of time to settle into all of that. Tiger, he, he was a lively little critter, that's for sure. But you did have to have your wits about you. When you was around him, you just had to be thinking on your feet quite rapidly, yeah. If you'd go into his stable and he was tied up and, say, for instance, you tripped over your bucket or anything like that, he would run backwards, break the string... And, and panic. He, he wasn't the quietest of horses. I mean, he was a little bit nervous when you was in and around him in the stable and he, he would probably rather give you a little flick with his leg through nerves. But he was a bonny-looking horse. A lot of the horses we used to get here all looked the same. And, of course, he was a little, a little bay horse, the big white star on his forehead. In the pre-training stables, these horses are still unnamed. So they're labelled by their mother's names. But Peter and his co-workers like to put a nickname on each of the horses, just to personalise them. And it's lucky for Tiger that his nickname didn't stick. Most of them we try to give them nicknames because of his out-of-Swiss role. All lads call, you know, you get, get something in your mind. And because he was called Swiss Roll, I mean, obviously we didn't know he was going to be called Tiger Roll, but Swiss Roll, so Swiss Roll just naturally becomes sausage roll and then we called him sausage and you know and, and, and it stuck with him while, while he was here certainly with me and a couple of other lads and the fact that they've called him tiger roll is even better you know 
That's for sure. To become a racehorse, Tiger would need to learn how to carry someone on his back, a jockey. It's a centuries-old skill known as breaking. Peter Gunn is a master of his craft and begins by building a relationship of trust with Tiger. First time that you met the horse, I wouldn't say, you know, to be too soppy to say that you've got to bond with him. You, you go in there, you're as quiet as you can, always gentle, always calming, and talking to them like, like they're a human being, really. You know, they do respond, it, it, they're just like a dog. If you scream at a dog, it's going to run away from you. You scream at a horse, it'll run away from you. It's braver to be quiet around them and try and get on with them. And, and a calming influence, so ask the horse to do what you're asking it to do, not make it, ask it to do it. So when it's done it, then it's rewarded by, you know, good boy, little pat. The first stage of breaking was to take Tiger into a lunging pit. This is a circular arena with high walls and where Tiger begins to walk in a wide circle with a long rope attached to the bridle on his head. At this stage, this allows Peter to get used to Tiger and Tiger to get used to Peter. The horse tells you when it's ready. So maybe typically after four or five days, you think, right, we've had enough lunging, we'll get something on his back. So we'll put a pad and a roller, which is a thing that just goes right round the middle and across his chest. And then you pull that up so it's tight round his middle. And then you send him off again round and round and round. And you look at their eyes, you look at their body language and you see their reaction. And if they're accepting it, you bring them back into you, pull it up another notch, send it off again. This is all new to the young tiger. So Peter is being guided by him. And when he feels tiger is calm enough, he moves to the next step. And then when the horse is telling you, you get a saddle on it. You send it round with the saddle with the stirrup irons up so they're up at the top of the saddle so they're not banging. And then when you're happy, you drop the stirrup irons down. So now the stirrup irons, you can imagine it's going round in a circle. It could be trotting or cantering. They're hanging and banging into its middle. Bang, bang, like your legs will be when you get on it. So you're trying to cut out all the problems that could happen when you get on. We're not cowboys. We're not going to just put set attack on them, get on them and yahoo them round and hope for the best. So then when you're happy and for the likes of me when I got on Tiger, I would look at him, look at his eye and I would think, yep, I think I'm about ready. Breaking a horse is about working with a horse, slowly, gently. You don't actually break anything. How Tiger was about to react to this seismic change in his life would give some indication of how he might be into the future. We would have corner stables, which were much bigger stables than the regular stables, and we would then get into the stable with Tiger, and then I got one of the bigger yardmen, rather than a small guy like me, who was a bit stronger, who would then hold him and, and bring his head in, and then he would go to leg me up like you would see a jockey getting legged up, but you wouldn't get on. You would only lean over. So you'd lean over from your midriff over the top of the saddle and lay on him. This is the most intimate and profound moment in any young horse's life, when a person first gets on their back. 
that age-old connection between horse and human. So I said to the guy, keep hold of him, you tell me, because he's looking at, at Tiger's eyes now, and if he goes, this don't look good, you know, if his ears go back and his eyes look a bit lit up, you know, get off. But he said, no, no, he's all right, he's all right, and I'm lent on him, and then what I would do is slowly swing my leg up and over, but staying down, so I would still be laying on his neck. No feet in the stirrups, hand on the reins and the neck strap, and then I would say to him, right, just walk him round the box. So he would walk round the box, two, three turns. If he was happy on the end of the rope, said, yeah, he looks all right. I was happy and felt safe, because you can feel them underneath you, whether they're tense. Tiger, he was fine. And once you've got to that stage, there's no turning back. The next day, boom, you get on him in the stable, ride him round the stable. Over the next few weeks, Peter slowly built up Tiger's confidence. And he progressed well, right up to when it was time to run on the gallops. And that's when some issues first began to arise with Tiger. He would be alert all the time, so it'd be like his ears would be always pricked and if anything sort of went on in front, i.e. we was coming down this track where we're stood now, which we did every day of the week, and because he's a flight animal, always looking really for danger. If a pheasant jumped out in front, he'd be the first, you know, one of the first ones to pop his head on, on sort of down and, and turn around and, and, and sort of run back into the other horses. We call it whipping round. And if you're not, you've got to be on your A game and sitting tight, you know, you'll be over the side and gone. And uh, he was a little bit like that. I'm not saying he was like that every single day. There was no malice in him, but he was just always ready, always alert. So he was always a very active horse. Peter's work with Tiger was now done and he would move on to the training stage of learning to run, getting fitter and stronger. It was around this time that Tiger Roll was officially named by the Godolphin Racing Office manager Jan Gardner and her team. They had based his name on his mother's Swiss Roll and to bring Tiger into the naming equation was an inspired choice for what he'd become. But right now, in January 2013, the Godolphin operation was rocked by the sad news of the death of Mick Buckley, the man who'd helped Jerry O'Brien with a deal in the stallion authorised, Tiger's father. Mick died suddenly at home, aged just 45, leaving a wife and young family behind him. He'd never get to see Tiger Roll make history. Back at Godolphin's training yard in Newmarket, in the spring of 2013, things were not going to plan for Tiger, as his trainer Mahmoud al Zaruni remembers. This is Mahmoud speaking. Regarding Tiger Roll, I remember the source very well, and he was bit uh, backward so that's why I decided to keep him in training and the decision was to run him end of the season in Newmarket as two years old just to learn how to run. As a horse bred to race in the flat he was supposed to run short distances at fast speeds no fences but out on the training gallops Tiger was beginning to fall behind his peers. Tim Deniff was involved in Tiger's training at this time. 
So they all, they differ, you know, a, a lot at, at that stage. You know, you'll see some horses sort of big, long and up behind. And you think, crikey, that's going to need more time to grow. Others are sort of, from the word go, they're well put together, compact. And in fairness to Tiger, he was always a neat little horse. And it probably wasn't until we started stepping him up into his work. Although he was neat and well to get put together, he didn't really show that sharpness that you'd expect. He didn't really have that natural speed. Very similar to athletes, humans, they just need more time to develop. The right thing to do is to generally back off them and give them more time. This is the point where the Godolphin dream for Tiger was falling apart. His racing career looked like it could be over before it even began. It was clear that he was never going to become a derby winner like his father, nor was he going to become a prize stallion. Owners only want to breed through from the best horses, and right now, Tiger was showing nothing of what he'd come to achieve into the future, so he was gelded or castrated. He'd never father folds himself. Throughout the late spring of 2013, Tiger continued to struggle in training at his Godolphin base in Newmarket. For whatever reason, he just wasn't enjoying life. Then in April, the Godolphin racing operation became worldwide news for all the wrong reasons. One of the world's best-known horse racing stables is Godolphin. It's owned by Dubai's ruling Sheikh Mohammed, and today it's at the centre of a doping scandal. After one Godolphin trainer Mahmoud Al-Zaruni is the man caught in the middle of the storm after 11 horses under his care tested positive for anabolic steroids at his UK-based stable. Godolphin are a major player in worldwide racing and its blue colours can be seen everywhere from the Dubai World Cup. Sheikh Mohammed is yet to release a statement. Within four days of the story breaking, the British Horse Racing Association handed an eight-year ban to Tigers and Sheikh Mohammed's new market-based trainer, Mahmoud Al-Zaruni. This whole episode had put everyone at Godolphin on the back foot. And it was a huge interruption to the Sheikh's racing operation. With Mahmoud Al-Zaruni now banned from racing and Tiger not proving himself as he should, that spelt the end of Tiger's time at Godolphin, as Mahmoud explains. I always felt that he will be a very good horse. But unfortunately, you know, my situation happened and... I got banned, so I left. And I think uh, Tiger Roll decided to left after me. <laughs> Tiger's time with Godolphin was coming to an end. The same phrase kept cropping up. He was slow to come to hand, meaning he was behind other horses of his same age. Godolphin made their decision, and the young Tiger Roll was put up for sale. Marie Sullivan is Bloodstock Sales Manager for Godolphin, responsible for all their horse sales in Europe and Dubai. Um, So I'm the person who sold Tiger (laughs) Roll. I met him, first of all, in July of 2013, when we were deciding which sale to put him in. Wrote my notes, asked some questions of the team. I believe there were niggles along the way. Nothing ever major. I think the feedback was that he was slow to come to hand. Um, he'd been gelded. He was an unraced three-year-old. He, he was a horse we probably didn't have a role for. Um, just, dare I say it now, unremarkable for us at the time. The first week of August 2013... 
Tiger Roll was back in the sales ring, this time at Goffs in Doncaster in Northern England. So my name's Henry Beebe and I'm the group chief executive of Goffs. We, on a regular basis, sell horses for Godolphin. Tiger Roll, he was there to be sold whatever he made above £800 and his pedigree suggested he would probably be more likely to be a, a flat horse when he was bred. Um, but when he came to us as a three-year-old, he was still unraced. So perhaps he hadn't lived up to the potential for what he was originally bought for. You know, at the time, it wasn't an extraordinary sale, uh, but it turned out to be an amazing sale. When Henry Beebe says that Tiger didn't turn out for what he was originally bought for, he's referring to Tiger being bred as a flat horse. Remember, flat racing is for horses who run fast, over short distances, without any obstacles or fences. Hence the term running on the flat. Tiger's mother, Swiss Roll, and all before her were flat horses. His father authorised the same. So what to do with a flat horse who just isn't fast enough? Could he switch codes to the other type of horse racing, National Hunt? But that's a whole other ball game, where horses jump fences and race over much longer distances. And this is where Nigel and Catherine Hawke come into Tiger's story. I'm Catherine Hawke. I'm the wife of the trainer, Nigel Hawke. I was involved with Tiger Roll in the sense that I was one of the owners. And I was at the sale with Nigel when we bought Tiger Roll. Nigel and his wife had recently set up Thorn Farm, a new up-and-coming training stable in a picturesque valley in Mid-Devon in the southwest of England. They were at a different end of the market to Sheikh Mohammed. I could see a sort of half a business idea of a certain type of horse, which was what the Godolphin type of horse is, very well bred, you know, a very nice type of horse that weren't quite strong enough to run the flat. They were coming on the open market and I could see an opening that you could produce them and then run them a bumper race back end of the season. Uh, Hopefully win a bumper and move them on and make some money. A bumper race is a flat race, but on a national hunt track. Now I know this can be a little confusing, but basically a bumper is a really long flat race and it's not so much about speed, but stamina. It's like an introduction to running in a racetrack. These races are much slower than normal flat races because these horses are national hunt horses, usually bred for jumping fences, so bigger, stronger and slower than flat horses. A bumper can be the first step in racing for a lot of national hunt horses. If they do okay there, then you can think of the next step, which is to start jumping them over hurdles or fences. Nigel's plan was to get Tiger to run in a bumper, hope that he did okay, and then sell him on. So that, that was the hope where the scheme started from. And obviously Tiger Row fitted the bill. Obviously I had to go to the sales and see what I liked. But you know that I'm a great believer, forget the breed and A, B, C, D. You either like a horse, you don't. Uh, the moment I saw I liked him, he had a lovely, nice eye to him. He's a lovely face to him. He, you know, he, he just caught your eye. But I set my heart on to get that horse that day. I think I first saw Tiger. We were walking down the row of stables and we saw this rather attractive head looking over the stable door. I do like a horse with a good eye and um, obviously he's got a very attractive star as well. Um, so I was immediately drawn to him. Um, The joy with the Godolphin horses are that you do get some history with them and usually they have sort of um, some papers with descriptions about what they've been doing, etc. 
So I was busy looking at Tiger over the stable, um, and Nig- Nigel was going off and talking to the lady in charge of, of those bunch of horses. Um, so he came back with the paperwork and then asked if they could bring Tiger out so we could have a look at him. He didn't have um, a straightforward history. He did have problems on his page, um, and I think that probably put a few people off as well. I think it was leg problems, and he'd had all the treatment, and he'd been given the all clear. So, in theory, he he was fine. But obviously, because they disclosed all of that information, it, it did put a few people off. When there doesn't seem to be anything physically wrong with a racehorse, and he's just not performing... It can be as simple as him just not being happy. And that's the kind of thing that can sometimes be really difficult to figure out in horse racing. We do a lot of that. We do a lot of that sort of um, contemplation because we are dealing with that sort of price range. So you're not going to get the perfect horse. And at the end of the day, you you do have to go with your instincts, really. That August day in 2013, Tiger Roll sold for 10,000 a fraction of what Godolphin had paid for him as a foal, not to mind the time and investment they'd put into him over the previous two years. Nigel, Catherine and their business partner Bill Sims were now Tiger Roll's new owners. I think, in fact, we would have got him slightly cheaper if um, we weren't bidding against someone else who um, is a personal friend of ours. And afterwards, he sort of drew us aside and said, for goodness sake, let, let me know when you're, you're going for a horse and I'll back down. So um, I think we might have got him slightly cheaper. Once the paperwork was done, Nigel loaded Tiger Roll up and drove him all the way down through England to his new home near Tiverton in West Devon. I obviously bring him home um, and start training them. Nigel had been around horses for years. He'd been a professional jockey, and his greatest day came in 1991, when he actually won the Grand National himself, riding a horse named Seagram. Being a jockey is a tough, rough business. Having retired from being a professional jockey and now training full-time, Nigel still occasionally rode out some of his horses at home, but he also had a number of younger jockeys who worked his horses each morning and would then ride them out in races. Mark Quinlan was the jockey assigned to Tiger Roll. Uh, my name is Mark Quinlan. I'm an ex-professional jockey from Kildare in Ireland and I worked for uh, Nigel Hawk at the time that he bought Tiger Roll. Uh, I'd ridden about 70 winners at this stage by the time I went to Nigel. And, um, yeah, career was going good and, you know, obviously a lot of experience behind me. Tiger Roll came to us off the flat, you know, off from, from Godolphin, so he needed an awful lot of learning and he was, you know, a lot, a lot, an awful lot of educational, you know, mm. so. When Tiger arrived down to Nigel and Catherine's stables, it took him a little bit of time to settle in. This was his third new home in as many years. Yeah, we put him into the stable and we are all having a look at him and seeing what he was like and he'd just run at you with his ears back. He was, he was very soured and, you know, he, he wasn't the most friendliest at the time. He was just never the most inviting or if you walk into the stable, he'd turn his bum to you rather than coming at you, you know, like with his head towards you, you know. Yeah. So we looked at him in the back of the stable. He was a small little well-bred animal and we're thinking, geez, what are we going to do with this, you know? 
he looked like a small little woolly bear, to be honest with you. But just, you know, it was always very new when he got into a new stable and he was very reserved, you know, should we say. He was, was a difficult, difficult boy when he came, but we pursued him anyway. <laughs> Nigel and Mark faced a huge challenge with Tiger Roll. In a new home and displaying all the signs of just not being happy, they'd have to get inside his head and try to work him out. He was very cheeky um, in the sense that there were issues with him not wanting to go on the gallops and things like that, really. And that's where we'll be going in episode three of Tiger Roll, The People's Horse. Tiger Roll, The People's Horse was written, recorded and produced by Michael Lawless, Tim Desmond and myself, Liam O'Brien. Sound design by Damien Chanel. Production assistance from the RT Documentary and One Team. And a special thanks to all our contributors and to the RT Design, Marketing and Creative Audio Departments. For further information on the series, visit rte.ie forward slash Tiger Roll. Thanks for listening.